I'm going to call the business meeting to order and uh, uh, ask Senator Cardin and myself to make uh, our opening comments, move them in, through them as rapidly as possible so we can uh, move on to the other meeting. I want to thank everybody for being here. Um, so the meeting will come to order. On the agenda for today, we have a number of nominations, including the Director of Office to Control and Combat Trafficking, the rank of ambassador at large, as well as over 600 personnel referred to the committee who have been nominated for appointment or promotion into and within the Foreign Service. I understand many of our colleagues have expressed concerns regarding two of the nominees. I want to also add we've had numbers of people pressing hard to ensure that uh, they get a vote. I would suggest the State Department redouble its efforts to reach out to members on this committee in a meaningful and substantial way in good faith in an effort to attempt and address those concerns. And I do want to say that finally yesterday the State Department uh, did come over uh, with some documentation that uh, one of our members had been requesting, and I appreciate that. I think there are a couple other pieces that may be uh, being pursued at this time, but I would urge the State Department, let's, let's get this out of the way and move uh, especially one of the nominations on. I'd like to recognize, with that, I'd like to recognize uh, Senator Cardin, uh, who I cherish serving with, and for his comments relative to what's getting ready to happen. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and I uh, see that we don't quite have a quorum yet, so let me um, first thank you. And I, I, I want to just say publicly, uh, as the ranking Democrat on the committee, I thank Senator Corker for the manner in which he has moved nominations through this committee. We've had timely hearings and timely action. There are a few exceptions, and we, we talk about that. But he has um, been very accommodating to our request, and I thank him very much for that. And it's keeping with the tradition of this great committee uh, to act timely on the nominations from the executive branch, and I thank you. And, and it's true today where we have uh, 13 um, nominations on our agenda uh, of, for action. As uh, Chairman Corker has pointed out, two nominees who were originally noticed to be on the day's agenda, Jennifer Hyverkamp, Assistant Secretary of State for Oceans and International Environment and Scientific Affairs, and Roberta Jacobson for Ambassador to Mexico, uh, will not be voted on in today's meeting. I find that regrettable and I understand that there is great interest among members for additional information, particularly as it relates to Roberta Jacobson. Uh, I just really wanted to point out that in Roberta Jacobson's case, we are talking about a career diplomat of the senior service, senior executive service. Uh, she has served, as we all know, as the uh, regional secretary, but more, she's also had direct experience in Mexico and I don't think there's a more qualified person uh, to become ambassador to, to Mexico. She's been on the calendar for about, she's been nominated about four months ago. In Jennifer Heiferkamp's case, uh, this nomination is now about nine months old. Uh, she is eminently qualified. I can go through her uh, qualifications. I will at the next meeting. But let me just mention and underscore probably the most important part of her qualifications. She's a Marylander, so she shows good judgment to live in the state of Maryland. Uh, but she is an associate professor at Johns Hopkins and worked in the USTR, EPA, et cetera. So, Mr. Chairman, I, I want to thank you for the constructive manner in which you have gotten nominations uh, uh, for both hearings and action in this committee. Uh, two nominees, 
Jennifer Heiferkamp for Assistant Secretary for the OES Bureau and Roberta Jacobson to be Ambassador to Mexico were removed from today's agenda late last night with the understanding between Senator Corker and me that both of these nominees will be on the next business meeting agenda uh, next Thursday. Uh, I believe that's our understanding, and I would just encourage all members to be prepared uh, for next Thursday. Before uh, uh, turning to Senator Shaheen who wants to make a comment, uh, that is our understanding. And uh, I think, uh, look, I'm a strong supporter of Roberta, and I think people understand that. And um, at the same time, I, I know you know that one of the reasons we've handled things the way we have is what we'd like as a, an outcome, not just in the committee, but an outcome on the floor. And so uh, uh, I know I had a long conversation with one of our members on this side of the aisle about the same thing last night. In the other case, on the other nomination, I do fear that uh, – uh, while I agree to bring her up next week, and I understand somebody may try to hold her over for the next meeting, that's everybody's prerogative. I do fear that because work, the appropriate work hasn't been done yet relative to building support in the committee, that that could end up being uh, a nomination that uh, ends up being a dead end, yep. if you understand what I'm saying. Well, I'm trying to avoid that. I appreciate yeah. it. I'm, okay. Mr. Okay. Mr. Chairman, I'm an optimist. I serve in the United States Senate. You have <laughs> well, to be an optimist. <laughs> So I, I you, are, hopeful, you have to be a few other things. I'm hopeful too. that between now and next Thursday, uh, in regards to uh, Jennifer Hyverkamp, that we will have an opportunity for senators to, to meet with her and to be able to ask questions so that we can hopefully uh, be able to move both nominations next week. Senator Shane. Um, thank you, Mr. Chairman. I, I would also like to echo Senator Cardin's comments about the um, the very positive and cooperative way in which nominations have moved through this committee. I think that's a tribute to you, it's a tribute to Senator Cardin and to all of the members. I do have a concern, and you um, suggested that you're also concerned about it, about the way in which these nominations then have moved to the floor of the Senate. And I, I just have to call attention to one of those nominees who's been um, waiting for four months since she moved through this committee on a voice vote, and that's Gail Smith, yeah. who was nominated to be the administrator of USAID. And I think at a time when we have a refugee crisis around the world, um, when we see all of the conflict areas and the hot spots that um, USAID is very involved in, for us to be sitting on a nominee who is non-controversial, who went through this committee on a voice vote, who has not been able to be brought to the floor because of the objections of one of our colleagues um, over an, the Iran deal, which has already been done and moved forward, is just unconscionable. And I would hope that we would all work to try and move her nomination because we need to get that appointment filled. Yeah. So uh, just for what it's worth, I, I couldn't agree more. I think she's very highly qualified. She moved through here very rapidly. And, and uh, you know, we had to work out a couple. Again, it was a similar kind of situation where there were some, some concerns. And we were able to resolve those before she came to vote. And therefore, you're right, there is a member who is holding this person up. We continue to have conversations with that member. Uh, please know that this, is, uh, this isn't a case where you know, uh, the majority, if you will, is holding up a nominee to be quali that, that is qualified. This is, and, and every senator, uh, let's face it, uh, has the right to be able to do those things. But uh, hopefully uh, um, we're going to make some progress on the hole being lifted and her becoming uh, 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 part of leading the USAID office. Yes. You, yes. 
I'm sorry, Senator Kern. I just want to uh, echo and support Senator Shaheen's comments. I um, saw and spoke to the nominee uh, over the weekend, and just uh, I literally on the train down from Delaware this morning was with a Syrian refugee who's yeah. just been resettled uh, in the United States and um, had an opportunity for a heartfelt conversation. The, the reach and scope of the difficulties that USAID could be leading um, in our response to continues to grow. Uh, if there's anything other members of this committee could do to help uh, with relieving this one hold, I, I would welcome the chance to yeah. do that and yeah. contribute. And, and you know, um, there's continual efforts uh, to, to make that happen. And I, I do hope and think that USAID hopefully is still functioning though. And, and uh, I mean, I, I don't wanna make too big a thing out of this and turn it into something that Maybe it's not, but I agree with you. We need strong leadership there, and I think she would provide that. What I'd like, if it's possible, is to have uh, unanimous consent for the possibility of a rolling vote so that... We have enough for a quorum, but not for a vote yet. But I'm Mr. Chairman, I, we, I certainly would uh, concur in your... Suggestion. I know members have uh, a lot of conflicts right now. We, uh, I think, with a rolling um, uh, vote, we would be able to get, report these nominees out this morning. So I would certainly concur in your request. Thank you for being here. If I could, what I'd like to do then, in the interest of time, I would ask the committee to proceed in block vote in consideration of 13 nominees before the committee. Scott Allen to be U.S. Director of the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development. Carolyn Alsop to be Ambassador to Gambia. Ann Barr to be Inspector General at USAID. John Estrada to be Ambassador to Trinidad and Tobago. David Gilmore to be Ambassador to the Togolese Republic. Jeffrey Hawkins to be the ambassador to the Central African Republic, Edward Nolan to be the ambassador to Suriname, David Robinson to be the assistant secretary for state for conflict and stabilization operations as well as coordination for reconstruction and stabilization, Daniel Rubenstein to be the ambassador to Tunisia, Lucy Tamlin to be the ambassador to Benin, Representatives Barbara Lee and Chris Smith to be representatives to the 70th session of the General Assembly of the UN, and Susan Coppage, uh, a motto, to be director of the office to monitor and combat trafficking with the rank of ambassador at large, who I think uh, will have more positive impact on what's happening uh, in the TIP office than anything that's happened in a long time. I want to thank all these nominees for being, being willing to settle into these positions. Senator Cardin, I don't know if you have any additional comments. I'd love to hear them. Uh, no, Mr. Chairman, again, I thank you for expediting uh, these nominees. One, we just had a hearing just very recently, so I'm very pleased that we were able to move these nominations forward. Are there any other comments by any other senators? Again, thank you all for being here. And uh, I will have to ask, since I've never done this before, how do we have a rolling vote? Uh, So just for your edification, if you're ever chairing one of these meetings, <laughs> uh, everybody will vote now, and then we will record a vote as it comes in later uh, with unanimous consent, which we've already achieved. So if there's no further discussion on the nominations, I would entertain a motion to approve these nominations. So by voice vote and block. Is there a second? Second. 
Uh, so moved and seconded. The question is on the motion to approve the nominations. All those in favor say aye. aye. All opposed? The ayes have it and the nominations are agreed to. Our last order of business is the six Foreign Service Officer list. I support these appointments and promotions and would like to thank all those, all of these officers for their service. Senator Cardin. Again, I thank you for bringing this list up and I strongly support it. Is there any other member who would wish to speak? Seeing none, um, I would entertain a motion that we uh, approve them in block as modified by voice vote. So moved. Second. Second. Moved and seconded. The question is on the motion to approve the three foreign service list in block as modified. All those in favor say aye. aye. Opposed? The ayes have it and the appointments and promotions are agreed to and that completes the committee's business. I ask unanimous consent the staff be authorized to make technical and conforming changes without objection. So ordered. And with that and without objection, the committee will stand adjourned. Thank no, you Mr. all. I don't think we want to adjourn the committee. I think we want to keep it open, but we'll start. Oh, good point on this uh, roving. <laughs> Thank you. We'll keep, with the consent that we stay in session and keep the roll call open. Yes, consent. All right. Today, and I'm going to have a slightly longer opening statement. I apologize. Uh, there are technical facts that I'd like to be out there. It still is not that long, but I do want to apologize, and I want to thank everybody for being here. Today, we are here to review our second civil nuclear cooperation agreement this year the fourth in the Asia-Pacific region in the past two years. While we focus in on the agreement before us with South Korea, I would remind my colleagues that in the past two years, we've also entered into agreements with Taiwan, Vietnam, and China. In reviewing this agreement, we must weigh the impacts of its contents on our global nonproliferation objectives against the political and economic benefits of these arrangements. Each of the previous mentioned agreements has very different approaches to addressing the key nonproliferation concern. Should the U.S. support the continued spread of fuel cycle technologies, namely enrichment and reprocessing capabilities? I do hope we'll really think about the details of this today. South Korea is one of our closest allies in the Asia-Pacific region. And our strong tradition of nuclear cooperation and collaboration remains an important element of our partnership. This is an issue that I've had the opportunity to discuss, and many of you have, with President Pak, both in Seoul and here in Washington. It is also important that we consider how this agreement could potentially impact U.S. strategic interests in the Asia-Pacific, particularly the security and stability of the Korean Peninsula. The agreement before us represents a continuation of the relationship that originally began in 1974 with the agreement between the United States and the Republic of Korea concerning peaceful uses of nuclear energy. This agreement has already been extended once by Congress to accommodate a failure to agree on new terms and will now expire on March 19, 2016. Since that first agreement was reached in 1974, the dynamics on the Korean Peninsula have changed. In 1975, South Korea joined the, the NPT. In 1985, North Korea joined the NPT. Though in 1986, the U.S. intelligence became aware of an undeclared plutonium production reactor and reprocessing plant 
and subsequently announced its intent to withdraw from the NPT in 2003. In 1992, the South and the North agreed to a joint declaration in which both parties agreed not to possess nuclear reprocessing and uranium enrichment capabilities. Since that time, North Korea has demonstrated a growing nuclear weapons capability, including both plutonium, plutonium and uranium enrichment capacities. Given this unique security situation on the Korean Peninsula, I believe it's imperative that we closely examine the agreement before us, specifically how it addresses the issue of pyroprocessing. This agreement also allows South Korea to operate the Advanced Spent Fuel Conditioning Process Facility, which is the first step in pyroprocessing. And it further provides the ability to enrich uranium up to 20% though South Korea currently has no enrichment capability. Today, I hope we will learn why this administration chose to include these capabilities in the agreement and how they match up with our bilateral, regional, and global nonproliferation objectives. Perhaps our witness could also address how the approval of these technologies to South Korea, and most recently the acceptance of enrichment by Iran, will impact our ability to negotiate agreements with other partners such as Saudi Arabia and Jordan that restrict ENR capabilities. I do understand that the civil nuclear cooperation between the United States and South Korea has brought many economic benefits, including the sale of U.S. nuclear reactors, the transfer of U.S. reactor technology, and participation in South Korea's export of nuclear technologies which has generated substantial income for the U.S. nuclear industry and grown thousands of jobs in the U.S. And I know we will hear about these attributes from our witness. That said, as I've, and I've said this before, I am concerned that the current administration has taken an economics industry first, national security second, national security second approach to entering into these one, two, three agreements. In closing, the United States must leave with high standards that prevent the proliferation of technologies if we are to have a credible and effective nuclear nonproliferation policy. I have concerns that elements of this agreement miss that mark. I want to thank Tom Countryman for joining us today to review the components of this agreement and look forward to working with him and his colleagues on this and future one, two, three agreements. And, uh, I just want to say that Tom is someone we all respect, and I know he's working for an administration, and I know he's going to give good testimony on their behalf, but I have to say um, we continue to let the camel nose under the tent, and I think that we're sending very mixed signals about uh, what our commitment really is to, to nonproliferation by the type of agreements that we're entering into. So with that, uh, Senator Cardin, I look forward to your comments. Well, well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you for uh, bringing us forward on this hearing. And Secretary Countryman, it's nice to have you here again before our committee. It has been pointed out, we've had a long relationship with the Republic of Korea on uh, nuclear issues. It dates back 50 years. The negotiation of this 1-2-3 agreement uh, extension, or new agreement, uh, has taken longer than we, I think, originally anticipated with a two-year extension that was approved and then now a 20-year agreement 
Uh, normally, these are 30-year agreements, so it's, it's, it, obviously there were some tough negotiations that took place during this period of time. But I think it, we should underscore the very close relationship between the United States and the Republic of Korea and our interest to complete a one, two, three agreement. First and foremost, it's, it's about uh, the safety of the use of, of nuclear power. It's also about the economic advantages. The principal suppliers are gonna be US companies. And we are now working in partnership with the Republic of Korea in the United Arab Emirates, which is showing that we are gaining economic strength globally as a result of these one, two, three agreements. So I think for all those reasons, uh, it's important that we move forward uh, on, on, a, on a one, two, three agreement with Korea. Uh, there are uh, certainly a, a broader relationship we have here. This is a country that we um, literally uh, sacrificed on the battlefield in order to, to uh, save. It's a country that shares our values. It's a country that um, uh, we work very closely with on the challenges we have on the Korea Peninsula with North Korea. So this is a country where we have a deep and enduring relationship. And, and Mr. Chairman, let me say that uh, the tens of thousands of Korean Americans that live in my state of Maryland have helped foster that close relationship between our two countries. So there's a lot of reasons to move forward here. Uh, also, I must say I'm a supporter of nuclear power. I think nuclear power is critically important for our uh, national security issues and for environmental re issues. And here, this is another example of a responsible expense, uh, uh, predictable agreement that allows for the safe use of nuclear power by an ally and friend. So for all those reasons, I think the one, two, three agreement is one that we should support. My own reading of this agreement is that it's a fair compromise was struck to resolve uh, the issue that you may raise, and that is the United States and Republic of Korea will continue to study the potential uh, pyroprocessing, which is a new type of technology for reprocessing spent nuclear fuels. Until the United States and Republic of Korea's joint study of this technology is completed, no decision will be reached about whether the Republic of Korea can move forward with this technology. And even after the study is finished, the ultimate authority for approving the reprocessing activities will rest with the Secretary of Energy. This agreement will allow us to continue to deepen our cooperation with Republic of Korea, which is particularly important as we work together on the region's energy future, climate change, and on a closer U.S.-Korea alliance. This agreement reflects the vital partnership and the enduring bonds between our two nations. And uh, I urge us to, be, to support this agreement. Obviously, there's a process for a review. Uh, I have introduced legislation to support it and I hope Congress will continue to show our support for the relationship between the United States and Republic of Korea. Thank you, Senator Cardin. We'll now turn to our witness. Joining us to provide testimony today is the Honorable Thomas M. Countryman. He currently serves as the Assistant Secretary of State for International Security and Nonproliferation. In this capacity, Mr. Countryman leads the Bureau at the head of the U.S at the head of the U.S. effort to prevent the spread of nuclear, chemical, and biological weapons, their related materials, and their delivery systems. I want to thank you for being here to share your thoughts and viewpoints. I know you understand. We'd love to hear your verbal parts in five minutes. Uh, if you have any other materials, uh, without objection, they'll be entered into the record. And with that, uh, we'd like to recognize you and thank you for your service to our country. Mr. Chairman and Ranking Member Cardin, I value your kind words to me, and I value just as much your tough questions. Uh, I have submitted a re an written statement 
but orally today I'd say that it's a pleasure to testify on the President's submission of an agreement for peaceful nuclear cooperation between the United States and the Republic of Korea. The ROK is a key ally in East Asia, as you've noted, and this agreement is an example of the increasing strength of our bilateral relationship. It will enhance the strategic partnership between the United States and South Korea across a spectrum of political, economic, energy, science, and technology issues. It is in the best interest of the United States to continue our nuclear cooperation with South Korea. I thank this committee, as well as your colleagues in the House Foreign Affairs Committee, for your leadership and support in extending the prior 123 agreement for a period of two years until 2016. This extension gave us the extra time and space we needed to work with our partners to achieve a balanced text that satisfies the needs of both countries. As usual, we've briefed members and staff extensively on, the, on this agreement, but I will recount a few high points. As with all our 123 agreements, this agreement is first and foremost an asset to advance U.S. nonproliferation policy. It contains all of the nonproliferation guarantees required by the Atomic Energy Act. It includes conditions related to IAEA safeguards, peaceful use assurance, physical protection assurance, and U.S. consent rights on storage, retransfer, enrichment, and reprocessing of U.S. obligated nuclear material. It allows for the continuation and the expansion of our robust and mutually beneficial trade relationship. It establishes a new standing high-level bilateral commission for our two governments to work together to advance nuclear cooperation. The Commission's working groups will focus on spent fuel management, assured fuel supply, Mr. nuclear Chairman, security. Mr. Chairman, if I could just ask, uh, with the courtesy of, the, um, of our witness, uh, we, we have the 10th member who is now here. If we could complete the, the, the business part of the meeting. Absolutely. With your permission, I, I would appreciate that. We have an open roll call on uh, the nominations that were before the committee as well as the, uh, the lists that were submitted. Mr. Chairman, with your permission, I would hope that we would allow Senator Menendez uh, to. It was a verb. It was a. Uh, it was a voice vote. But if Senator Menendez could, could express his view, I think we could close out those votes and report these nominations out. Senator Menendez, we had the nominations in block. I know you have a, a, a record of who those are, and just wonder if you support or oppose uh, that list in block. My, my understanding is there's, there, there was a revised. That's correct. That's, That's correct. Uh, then I support the in block. Yeah, and the we had Roberta yes. on this. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so we. Uh, uh, <laughs> so sometimes I work. I struggle <laughs> to get that Tennessee humor. You know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we had, yes, we, okay, we had three uh, FSO lists as modified. We had three FSO lists as modified too, and you support those. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mr. Chairman. I think we then can close out the business meeting and report uh, the nominees in the lists. There may be others that wish to vote, okay, but as of present, uh, they will not. So uh, okay. the meeting adjourned, okay. and we'll now we'll continue with the hearing. Thank you. And, and Mr. Chairman, let's point, I, I hope that we would give Secretary Countryman this extra two minutes we just took away from him. I'm almost done, sir. Uh, this agreement establishes U.S. consent rights on any future 
possible enrichment or reprocessing of U.S. obligated nuclear material, but it also contains a set of pathways towards a possible U.S. government decision in the future on whether to grant consent to the ROK to enrich or reprocess U.S. obligated nuclear material. The ROK is one of the strongest partners of the U.S., has consistently displayed a commitment to nuclear nonproliferation. It is a leader in the four multilateral export control regimes in the global nuclear security summit process, and of course, a strong ally in addressing the threat posed by North Korea's nuclear and missile programs. In short, this agreement is one of the most sophisticated and dynamic peaceful nuclear cooperation agreements we've ever negotiated. When it enters into force, it will provide a strong foundation for our shared peaceful nuclear cooperation and our non-proliferation objectives for years to come. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for your testimony. Uh, Senator Perdue, I'm prepared to yield if you have questions that you would like to ask. I, I just have one very quickly, but um, I appreciate that. Thank you, um, Mr. Secretary, for being here again. Um, I, I'm very concerned about um, what we've just done with Iran. I know that uh, the ranking member uh, is as well. We're moving forward. Now we have this, this uh, negotiation with a great ally, and I appreciate your, your efforts there. Um, I'd, I'd just like to pursue the need for South Korea's um, desire to enrich. I mean, it's just th that simple. Um, I know we've got this study group. We're going to be looking at this, and I applaud that. But I'm very concerned. Let me put that in perspective for the record. Um, as we looked at this in the Iran negotiation or conversation, uh, there are about 190 NPT countries today, nine of which have, well, not all of these are in the NPT. There are five countries in NPT that today have a nuclear weapon. There are four, uh, North Korea, Israel, Pakistan, and India, that are non-PT, NPT, but do have weapons. There are five countries, and now six, including Iran, that uh, have civil nuclear programs and are allowed to enrich under NPT, Germany, Holland, Japan, Brazil, and Argentina. And then there are 18 countries, of which South Korea is a member, that have civil programs and are now not allowed uh, to enrich. So the question is, under what circumstances does it make sense for us to start looking at these 18 countries and others, as the example of Iran, to, uh, to start enrichment. Uh, the supply chain, I know, was mentioned uh, by the Iranians and so forth, which I find to be fairly hollow. It seems to me that this is a, a first step, and this barrier for decades has been very uh, effective in preventing um, uncontrolled proliferation. So could you give us uh, your comments for the record on that? Yes, several points. Uh, First, when you talk about states allowed or not allowed to enrich, that's not under the NPT. The Non-Proliferation Treaty does not grant or deny states the right to, the so-called right to enrich. Thank you. I, I but, misspoke. Thank you. But under uh, U.S. agreements, there are a limited number of states who developed independently of U.S. technology a capability to enrich and or reprocess, and the recognition of that indigenous capability is contained in a number of our one, two, three uh, agreements. The uh, uh, Iran agreement, of course, uh, does not provide a right to enrich, and most importantly, it is not a one, two, three agreement. It does not allow for civil nuclear cooperation between the United States and Iran. Overall, what I would say about enrichment specifically is that the market 
works. There is a surplus of enrichment capacity in the world for those states who wish to develop uh, nuclear power. They can purchase the fuel they need on the global market. That is what was always economically ludicrous about Iran's claim that it needed to develop this capacity. Right. Uh, in the case of the Republic of Korea, we have agreed that this is a topic we will discuss in the future. I think it is premature to talk about an ROK desire to enrich, but it is accurate to talk about an ROK desire to keep that option open. And that's what we have agreed to do in this case. Thank you, Mr. Secretary. Thank you, Mr. Ranking Member. Let me, uh, I'm going to follow up on this a, a bit because it is um, unusual, rare, that we give advanced permission to reprocess uh, in a civil nuclear agreement. The date has only been granted to countries that have already had that technology, as I understand it, such as India, Japan, and Western Europe. So why are we considering it here for the first time in, in, in this region, uh, on the, uh, knowing the Korean Peninsula sensitivity, why are we uh, including it in this agreement, or the options in this yeah. agreement? Uh, the very shortest answer is because the ROK asked to keep that question open for a future decision based on a variety of issues that we will study together that include technical, economic, of course, non-proliferation policy, security issues, uh, and uh, feasibility. And so we have agreed uh, that the consent decision will not be granted in this agreement. This is not advanced consent, but a consent decision on U.S. obligated material will be made at a later time. Now, the next question I'm going to ask you, I, I, I'm a little bit suspect to ask you this question, but in the 1992 joint declaration in which North and South Korea agreed that they would not possess nuclear reprocessing or uranium enrichment facilities, knowing the activity in North Korea, it's hard for me to ask you this question, but does the development of pyroprocessing violate the 1992 joint declaration? Our current agreement for joint research with the Republic of Korea on certain aspects of pyroprocessing does not violate that agreement. It is technical research at this point. The technology and the knowledge that we have shared with the ROK is strictly limited uh, by a bilateral agreement. Uh, so where we are now is not in any way in violation of the joint declaration. But could it be, if it goes to its logical conclusion that the Republic of Korea is seeking, would it violate the 92 joint well, declaration? First, I am not aware. The ROK has not said that they are seeking to build a commercial scale pyroprocessing plant in the ROK. At that point, we would have some hard decisions to make. Uh, but building pyroprocessing with the huge economic costs involved as compared to what are today far lower costs for spent fuel storage by other methods, uh, that's not the only logical outcome of this discussion. So could you share with this committee the challenges you had in completing this one, two, three? We needed a two-year extension. 
It's a 20-year agreement where we normally look today at 30-year agree agreement. Can you share with us the thought as to why it took longer than at least initially anticipated and why we're now you're entering into a 20-year agreement where normally it would have been a longer agreement? Again, the short answer for why it took a long time, the Republic of Korea, our South Korean friends, are good allies and tough negotiators. And we spent a lot of time going over each sentence in here. They have concerns, uh, perhaps greater on their side than on our side, about how it is perceived politically back in their capital. And so we took the extra time to ensure that this technical agreement, where we're in agreement on just about everything, does not become a political football in either capital. And I think we succeeded well in that. Uh, the 20-year agreement with an automatic five-year extension was at the suggestion of the Republic of Korea. And as uh, we previously discussed with this committee, there's a preference here to have an upper limit of 30 years for one, two, three agreements. So we had no objection to a 20 plus five arrangement. Well, you're right about that. I think we do want a, a limit on, on the one, two, threes. Uh, it was just strange that they wouldn't want a longer agreement. Um, is there an advantage to the Republic of Korea of making this be able to kick out after 20 years? What, what is their thinking there? Well, I think the, uh, uh, and here it, it's better to ask them, but mm -hmm. what I would say is they point to the rapid pace of technological change. And it is possible that there will be significant developments in nuclear technology in the next 20 years. At the same time, I think this same agreement will serve us well for 20, 25 years or longer because it has the flexibility to accommodate those kind of changes in technology, specifically through creation of this high-level bilateral commission. Last question, if I might, getting back to the first point, I mean, I, and with the chairman, I'm sure, is going to be talking about the enrichment in, in, on the Korea Peninsula in the Republic of Korea. Under this agreement, South Korea is permitted to undertake the first stage of pyroprocessing, which is, again, a new type of technology. Uh, what do you see is the ultimate objective of Korea under this agreement as it relates to either processing or enrichment? We're, 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 I understand they want to reserve their rights, et cetera, et cetera. Where should we anticipate is likely to, uh, we're likely to be? Well, uh, that's speculative, so I'll give only a very general answer. I think the intention of the Republic of Korea is number one, to uh, improve their energy independence through the use of nuclear power for electricity. Second, to be as competitive in the international marker for market for reactor technology as they are in a number of other high-tech fields. And third, to make economically rational decisions about the best way to achieve those goals. We do not have a prejudgment from either side about the economic viability of enrichment or reprocessing, uh, particularly when as I said, the world enrichment market is in surplus right now. But Thank you. I think that's how I would describe their goals. Thank you. Uh, uh, 
I think you have a tough job, and we thank you for the way you deal with each of us. And um, even though sometimes we disagree with the with the outcome, I I would just add, just uh, we have a outstanding working relationship. Uh, I would add to if I were answering the question that uh, look, we've all spent time with President Pak. She is a tough negotiator. She is a, a very focused person. I understand all that. My sense is, though, it also has to do with the fact that we have agreed to let Japan do the same thing. And I'm sorry, there's just a, a syndrome that comes with that. Um, there are issues, obviously, between South Korea and Japan. We are, you know, allowing China to do the same thing. And in essence, uh, I fear that our policy, uh, you know, the old gold standard is basically thrown by the wayside and it's now you know because others have it uh, we want it and I, I i hope you won't deny that that was part of the part of the desire if you will on behalf of south korea to be able to to do this it's as if they're being treated less well if you if you will if we did not allow them to do this yes sir a couple of points uh, first, as I mentioned, uh, in this negotiation or in any similar negotiation, I think both teams come to the table with a consciousness of how they will explain the final agreement to legislators and to the public back home and how it will be perceived regardless of the explanation. Uh, and so, I would say that in the case of the Republic of Korea, we had a consciousness that there is a possibility of that kind of political comparison to Japan being made when it's reviewed back home. But I can say it was not in any way an explicit part of the negotiation. It was not a demand pressed by the Republic of Korea in this case. Rather, we both agreed that we had to find something that demonstrated yeah. how strong our bilateral nuclear cooperation is, and I think we've done that. Well, on that same line of discussion, then you would agree with me, as we continue to throw the gold standard by the wayside, as we continue to allow people to reprocess and enrich, as we continue to go down this path, go down this path, go down this path, that that consciousness will continue to be an issue with others that we talk about or negotiate with because they also will be saying, well, my, my friend in the region has this capability, so therefore I must too, or the people back home will view that I am a weak negotiator. So we're going to continue with this syndrome, are we not? Uh, I can't quite agree. First, I can agree that I've never liked the word gold standard. I understand it was coined by a colleague of mine in the State Department but I think it's an inaccurate description of our policy, and especially when I recall what the gold standard did to the world economy in the 1920s, I think it's a bad, a bad metaphor to use. Well, for people viewing this uh, particular hearing, let me just say there is no relevance whatsoever to the two gold standards, but go ahead, <laughs> okay. okay. Thank you, sir. Uh, as we discussed in depth at a hearing in January of last year, uh, our policy is not to insist on a one-size-fits-all standard okay, for look, every so, country. So just look, you know, we've got to get, I'm, just if you would, 
As we continue, forget the gold standard. Okay. As we continue, we have, obviously, the gold standard is not operational anymore, although we might want to do some things to attempt to change that, especially with all that is occurring in this regard. But is, is it fair to say that as we continue to allow other countries the ability to enrich and reprocess, that as that expands out, and it's expanding out geometrically under this administration, geometrically, even with state sponsors of terror, Iran, as we continue to do that, as we continue to do that, is it not true that when you sit down and negotiate with people, the consciousness is going to be that they're going to look weak if we allow a state sponsor of terror to enrich, and they're a good actor, if we allow the Republic of Korea to, in, to move down this path when we've stated that the peninsula will not have that kind of activity, uh, again, nothing against President Park or South Korea, but this continues to feed the same problem as we move around the world, does it not? Senator, I, I'm never happy to disagree with you, but I do have to contest the premise of the question. You are a good uh, soldier. Uh, well, it, it's okay. what I believe, sir. Yeah. Under this administration, the enrichment and reprocessing technology has not spread. There are no countries enriching and reprocessing today that were not doing it eight years ago. And the one country that advanced in recent years in its enrichment capability, Iran, which expanded dramatically, its enrichment capability since 2000 is now constrained. So far from being a geometrical spread of such technologies, under this administration there has been a constriction of those capabilities. Let me just walk down a series of questioning and uh, I mean, I just look at the most recent agreements we've entered into. In every case, we've expanded those countries' abilities. In the one, two, three agreements we've come to, I'm sorry, that's in stark opposition to what you just said. This agreement does the same thing. Let me just walk you down a list of questioning. And my temperature is rising slightly with, uh, I feel like, you know, just, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, the agreements we've entered into on the one, two, three side, I'm sorry are not consistent with what you just said. They are not consistent. This agreement is not consistent with what you just said. And I'm disappointed that you would cause people to think that that is the case. So let me just walk down a line of questioning. Is it the U.S. policy that South Korea should not pursue or develop reprocessing capabilities? Is that our policy? I yeah. want to make sure we communicate that real clearly today to the president of South Korea. Uh, that's a policy decision that should be taken later, taking into account a number of issues that we have agreed to study together. Okay. And I'm, I'm going to bypass some of the, I'm going to come back to the question. What we're really doing is we are putting the next person that you've punted this decision to in a very awkward position because what you're doing is you're leading them with a bread trail towards reprocessing. You're allowing them to invest, you're causing them by your affirmation of this agreement to invest a lot of money in that direction. So the next executive, the next person in your position is going to be in the bad position of feeling like we've been in bad faith. Uh, we've been dealing in bad faith with South Korea if we don't allow them to continue down that path. That is what y'all have set up in this process. 
you know that's what we've set up in this process, and that's why you say that someone else down the road will have to make that decision. Why is it the U.S. Why did the U.S. agree to cooperate with South Korea on pyroprocessing research and projects? Because our option was to cooperate with them or to have them do it alone. And we think it is smarter to have insight and cooperation on what they're doing and to be able to reach common conclusions about the physical, technical, and economic viability of pyroprocessing. This agreement allows South Korea to operate the Advanced Spent Fuel Conditioning Process Facility, which is the first step in pyroprocessing. Is this, as I said earlier, not setting the expectation that the U.S. will ultimately agree to allowing the use of this technology with U.S. obligated material? It may create that expectation for some, but we could not have been more clear in all the negotiation and in all statements surrounding this agreement that a future decision is not prejudged. So you don't think President Park right now believes that we've given a wink and a nod by agreeing to this, that down the road they're going to be able to take further steps. And again, you're looking at somebody who has a lot of faith in you. Uh, I don't know what President Park believes, but I don't believe, I don't see a basis for her to conclude that this is a wink and a nod rather than what it actually is, black on white. Do you believe that she believes this has taken her down the path in the country to a place where it's going to be very difficult for the next administration to deny her the next steps that she and her country would like to take? Again, our friends. If she believes that, she's been badly briefed about what we've said. Under today's circumstances, would the U.S. negotiate an agreement with any country that provided advanced programmatic consent to the pyro process spent fuel should the technology be found viable? Please. Under today's circumstances, would the U.S. negotiate an agreement with any country that provided advanced programmatic programmatic consent to pyro, pyro process spent fuel should the technology be found viable? It's an interesting question. Uh, <clears throat> the technology has not yet been proven viable. Uh, it may be technically viable, but economically and in terms of safeguards and security is a different question. Uh, I'm let me take that question. I mean, we negotiated with the ROK as one of our closest partners and as the country most interested in pursuing this technology. It's what scientists and engineers do, is they go down interesting pathways. Uh, how to apply that to another country, I'd have to think about, but it's not an issue that's come up. Why did the administration agree to language allowing for the enrichment up to 20% when South Korea currently has no enrichment capability. Why do we do that? Again, we didn't agree. We agreed that this is an issue, that if the ROK makes a decision in the future that it wishes to pursue enrichment using U.S. obligated material, we'll make a decision on that in the future. And 
Tom, I'm going to close out. I know Chris Murphy's here and wants to ask some questions. I'm sure Jim Rish maybe. Um, I don't think you can look at me with a straight face in this hearing and say that the way this agreement is written, um, the way it's written, the words, um, would not give some indication to people in South Korea that we've begun the green light towards additional activities. I don't think you could say that to me. Uh, if I'm a legislator, if I'm a constituent, uh, and I read the agreement that we that you, we have before us, I, I just don't think you can tell me that it doesn't give some indication that down the road uh, there will be additional doors opened. Uh, I've been around capitals long enough to know that there are people who will read it in a number of different ways. But I agree 100% with what Senator Cardin said, that this is a reasonable compromise on an issue in which we entered into the negotiation with differing positions. Yeah. And I think our statements have been clear enough. Yes, yeah. some people will take encouragement about a decision that will be taken many years from now by officials different from the ones who are now in these jobs. Okay. Uh, but there is no promise. Yeah. And I'll just say uh, again, I'll hang with my comment that the fact is that this administration continues to open doors towards enrichment, towards reprocessing, continues to make it more and more difficult for others who really look at nonproliferation as an important issue. As you continue to let the camel nose under the tent, as you continue to let countries expand their reprocessing enrichment capabilities, it makes it even more difficult as was the case in this particular agreement, makes it even more difficult for us to really focus on nonproliferation in the ways that we set out in the very beginning. So uh, that is a fact. That is why there were differences here. And that is why we find ourselves in a situation where I stand by before that these agreements that have been negotiated under this administration have done more to open the door towards these type of activities than I ever would have anticipated based on the kind of declarations that this president and others may have made about nonproliferation. And I think it shows that we are not committed, that in essence national security is secondary to the economic benefits that uh, come to some. So with that, Senator Murphy. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. I apologize for uh, missing uh, the, the substance of this, but I've been following the issue, and I thank you for the work you've done. I think I share uh, some of the sentiments that S Senator Cardin has expressed regarding w what is uh, a hard-fought and hard-won compromise, but a compromise first, second, and third. Um, I, I guess you may have covered this a little bit in your opening remarks, but this is, in general, um, a much more complicated relationship between the United States and South Korea than it has been in the past. We have uh, less influence on North Korea via the Chinese, less of a conduit into uh, understanding and trying to influence their actions at the borders, obviously increased military tensions. We have a new trade agreement um, that many in the United States are unhappy 
happy with. There's complicated enforcement mechanisms in it. Um, I, you know, I know you don't you know have the portfolio of overseeing the totality of the relationship, but um, the, the 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 commission set up within this certainly um, recognizes the context of the broader relationship and how this fits uh, fits in. Can you just talk about sort of how this agreement sits within the broader bilateral? relationship and its importance in terms of continuing to move uh, our very important economic partnership developed after the trade agreement and the security partnership outside of nuclear cooperation? Yes, sir. Maybe the best way I can do that is to speak explicitly to our nuclear bilateral relationship because I think it parallels the developments that you've spoken about. When we signed the first one, two, three agreement with the ROK in 1974, it was a reflection of a one-way street. That is, the United States was selling nuclear technology and equipment to the Republic of Korea so that they could start building electric power generation. Uh, today, it is absolutely a reciprocal, mutually beneficial agreement. It is not a one-way street. It's a, definitely a two-way exchange of the best technology, of the best capabilities, of competitiveness in the global marketplace for other countries that may want to buy nuclear power. Uh, and the negotiation and the terms of this agreement reflect that this is a partnership of equals, at least in this domain. And I think you can extrapolate that also in a number of ways to what we're doing together on the economic and the security and the diplomatic side as well. I, I hope that's useful to you. Uh, you know, I think we can speak in Connecticut to the importance of the energy relationship that extends well beyond nuclear power. Um, uh, Korea is the uh, top uh, buyer of fuel cell technology in the world from U.S. companies. Much of it comes from uh, one company in Connecticut that's created hundreds of jobs based on um, a very close relationship between the U.S. fuel cell industry and the uh, um, uh, Korean fuel cell industry. It's mutually beneficial in that industry as it is in the nuclear industry as well. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Are there any other questions? Um, with that, we thank you. I'm sure we're going to be following up with uh, other questions. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, subject to Senator Cardin's approval, the record will remain open until close of business tomorrow. I know, as usual, you'll promptly uh, uh, respond to those questions. Senator Markey apparently is rushing in. and. A great friend of nuclear proliferation, so I'm sure that uh, <laughs> he will cherish this uh, this agreement that's been put in place. With that, Senator Markey. Okay, uh, thank you, and uh, Mr. Countryman, so good to see you again. Um, and thank you for holding this hearing. And I apologize to you, Mr. Chairman. It is a very important hearing. Um, uh, there is a very real and dangerous risk inherent in international transfer of nuclear technologies. We last addressed our shared concern on these risks in May during the hearing on the China 123 agreement. As I said then, we should not leave doors open for our partners to use U.S. technology to process spent nuclear fuel in ways that 
produce materials that can be used as the building blocks for nuclear weapons. Our agreements with partners need to preserve a meaningful U.S. role in such decisions. Uh, we have issues that, of course, are of concern even in this agreement because it leaves the door open to process uh, something called pyroprocessing, which South Korea may begin doing as early as 2021 after completion of a study of its viability and proliferation risk. In 1996, I led a bipartisan group in the House opposed to pyroprocessing in the United States because it would not have been cost effective and would have increased proliferation uh, risk, giving a bad example to other countries. At the time, I called pyroprocessing bad for American efforts to stop the spread of nuclear weapons. Um, we were successful back then. It's just a very expensive way, pyroprocessing, of burning money, American taxpayer money. Just It was an absolutely crazy idea. Uh, and so we cannot allow these weapons, uh, usable materials, to be separated from spent nuclear fuel. It's very dangerous. Uh, unfortunately, um, what we're potentially creating here is an open door to increase production of weapons usable material, even by trusted partners, uh, which can have unintended consequences, uh, especially in regions prone to instability. East Asia's regional politics are beset by rivalries over territorial claims and national aspirations and aggravated by lingering antagonism from World War II. It's all still there. Compounding concerns raised by the China Agreement, Japan's intent to begin uh, spent fuel reprocessing itself uh, next spring is expected to lead to a substantial increase in its already large quantity of weapons-grade plutonium. Uh, Secretary Countryman, uh, if Japan goes forward with its plans and the region believes that we are on track to help South Korea begin pyroprocessing starting in the 2020s, uh, I just think that it's highly likely uh, that uh, China uh, ultimately could help us maybe in playing a role if we could get together uh, about its decisions on reprocessing, or else what we're going to have is just an ever-escalating uh, upward spiral of, uh, of interest in this issue uh, that ultimately is going to create a real tragedy for us. So I, when I say to you, Mr. Secretary, when you're visiting these countries, when you're talking to these people in, this country, in these countries, you have to deliver a message. This is dangerous stuff we're playing with. This is dangerous stuff that ultimately could come back in 15 or 20 years and create even more dangerous situations than Iran is today. Could you talk to us about that and what you would say would be a good message for these countries from the United States as a, as a Cassandra-like warning? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, two comments on earlier statements by you and then a, a direct answer. First, I don't agree that we have opened the door to pyro processing. We've just had this discussion. We have agreed to postpone a decision on that until the joint fuel cycle study is completed. The second comment is that the points you raised in 1996 and again today about high expense and vulnerability of fissile material uh, are relevant today and will be absolutely central among the criteria that we discuss in 2021 and afterwards. 
Third, in terms of the message for partners in East Asia or anywhere else, is that decisions about ENR technologies, enrichment and reprocessing technologies, must be transparent, must be economically logical, and must be defensible on the basis of the, both the physical security and the safeguarding of such physical material. And yes, we do deliver that message in great detail in East Asia and elsewhere. Okay, well, I know that a group of 13 nonproliferation experts sent uh, Secretary Moniz a letter earlier this month saying that continuation of U.S. spent fuel re recycling work through the MOX fuel program, the mixed oxide program, quote, helps plutonium recycling advocates in Japan, China, South Korea, and other states maintain the illusion that plutonium separation and recycling are activities that, that are responsible uh, non-weapon states activities that they can engage in. Uh, have you seen that letter, Mr. Secretary? Yes. Are there opportunities from your perspective to ask all of our East Asian partners to defer commercial plutonium-based fuel activities? I think that letter makes a number of very valid points. And yes, I look forward to discussing the concepts in that letter with partners in East Asia and beyond. Yeah, I, honestly, I do believe this is a door opening historic moment that is very troubling uh, to me. Um, uh, I think that um, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the message that you should send, in my opinion, is a very strong one to them. Uh, that we're at the threshold of yet another uh, potential arms race. We're still dealing with selling civilian nuclear power plants to Iran. We attacked Iraq because of civilian nuclear programs, again, that were dangerous. North Korea is a civilian nuclear uh, uh, facility that, uh, you know, that uh, had it one guise but was turned into something else. So. Uh, so I, while you say it did not open and, and does not open the door to uh, pyro processing uh, because the decision was postponed, um, I don't think that we should for a minute think that the door is locked. You know, I don't think it's locked at all. I think we have to make sure it's locked. I think that's our responsibility as the global leader in nuclear nonproliferation. And I urge you very strongly to send that message when uh, you are meeting with these countries around the world. Mr. Chairman, I thank you so much. Thank you. I, I, I you know, understand sometimes media outlets are, are not always accurate. And matter of fact, that happens uh, many, many times. And I understand how administrations and others, uh, you know, spend the media. I just want to read from the, uh, my staff just handed me, the Korea Herald. I have no idea whether it's a respectable uh, media outlet or not, my sense is it may be, but Korea gains more nuclear leeway. This is a sub-headline. Revised PAC opens door to Seoul's rights of low enrichment and reprocessing, and I don't think there's anybody, I'm sorry, Mr. Countryman, that doesn't uh, believe that that's exactly what we've done, including all the negotiators on the South Korean side. So, look, I'm disappointed. I. I uh, voted for an agreement uh, when I first came here uh, that I shouldn't have, and that was the India agreement. Um, you know, this has been going on. Uh, this is not a partisan issue. Um, 
You know, it, it uh, happened at the end of the Bush administration. It's been hugely expanded upon uh, by the Obama administration. I know for uh, private companies, there's a lot of money at stake here. I got that. Uh, a lot of these private companies, as we've learned in previous hearings, and even in this particular case, I think the technology that uh, South Korea plans to use is actually technology that ultimately, uh, through a subsidiary and then a holding company, is owned by Japan, which is pretty fascinating. But uh, in any event, uh, you know, we, uh, we see uh, private interest, uh, in my opinion, uh, trumping uh, national security interest on a constant basis, and it's disappointing. So I think we're probably going to have a meeting uh, of this committee to see if there are steps we can take uh, to try to stop that from happening. We thank you for your service. Um, I don't know if you're going to be testifying before. Say, so are there any other agreements that you with that that include reprocessing and enrichment that you plan to bring before us between now and the end of the year? No, sir. But if I could make two very quick comments. One is, I appreciate and I take very much to heart. Uh, your statement that this is not a partisan issue. I think there's been consistent, strong support from administrations and congresses of every political stripe for non-proliferation objectives. Uh, and I value that very much. Uh, and I have taken very careful note of all the comments and questions you've asked, and we will do our damnedest to uh, answer those in consultation with you and your staff as, uh, as you have time. I, I do have to say, on economic interests, at no point were economic interests primary in this negotiation. At no point did I get instructions from my leadership or from the White House to make this an economically good agreement for the United States or for US companies. The only exception is that we agreed to an ROK request that one of the working groups of the Bilateral Commission specifically deal with commercial cooperation and issues such as export licensing from the US side. Uh, I say this because I simply can't agree in all the time I spent negotiating this that economic interests were at any point primary to non-proliferation interests. Actually, in fairness, uh I would say in this particular agreement uh, that the primary issue uh, was the fact that all of their neighbors were able to do it. So I would agree with you. I would say that in many of our agreements, I do think that commercial interest have driven, has driven it. And it's interesting. I support strongly the nuclear industry. I mean, I am a strong supporter of nuclear power. We've got 103 or four plants in our country today. I wish we had more. I just... Uh, I think it's not appropriate in the name of commercialization for uh, countries to be enabled, if you will, to have the full fuel cycle and be able to proliferate nuclear weapons. I just don't. But uh, in this case, I agree. I think it was more the fact that Japan has it, others have it in the region, and the fact that we continue to lower our guard, we let our enemies have it, uh, Iran, and I just think over time the pressures um, continue to mount uh, for us to lower our standard so that, quote, we're treating our friends at least as well as, as our enemies. So with that, again, thank you for your service. The record remain open towards the uh, close of, to, 
until the end of business tomorrow. I know you'll answer promptly, and we look forward to seeing you again, hopefully not on this type of subject. Thank you.